Welcome to Great Minds with Michael Medved. This is a unique podcast where we have the great opportunity to look behind the passing events and challenges of the day to take a look at some of the deeper questions that face us as thoughtful people, trying to make sense of what's going on. One challenge comes from the habit of mind, which is known as materialism. Now, materialism has a lot to do with politics, with philosophy, and with popular and scientific culture alike. Materialism informs, at least among many people and among many other things, the way that we think about our constant companions in modern life, and that would be computers. Our guest today speaks authoritatively with great wisdom and humor about the challenges of materialism and technology. That would be Robert J. Marks. He is the Distinguished Professor of Electrical and Computer Engineering at Baylor University. Dr. Marks has recently launched a very exciting, important new program at Discovery Institute, this is the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence. Uh, it's an amazing undertaking, and actually I found it inspiring even just so far. Also part of the center is the podcast that Bob hosts. It is called Mind Matters at mind.matters.com. Uh, welcome, Bob Marks. It's, it's not actually mindmatters.ai. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, you see, that's why it, said, it says right here. It's mindmatters.com, but mindmatters.ai. <laughs> yes, again, this shows human exceptionalism. It does. It really does. <laughs> okay. more, more satisfactory than any, any computerized uh, alternative. Okay, in, in terms that people talk about, when people talk about materialism, very often people talk about, I'm fascinated with getting the best cars and the best furniture and the best handbags. That's not what we're talking about when you're talking about materialism related to the world of computers and artificial intelligence. How would you define materialism in the world that you deal with? Well, I think a general materialism is nothing more than assuming an ideology that everything that exists and everything that you deal with has a materialistic foundation. Naturalism is kind of a synonym for that. And that um, if it doesn't exist physically, materially, then, yeah, it's, it's just not there. And it certainly has an impact, your ideology in that area, on what you do and how you do things. Mm-hmm. In the sciences, in computer science, in all of the hype that we have about AI, for example, your ideology is going to impact uh, your, your, your forecast and where you think you're going. Okay, one of the the clear elements of materialism that I, I know Discovery Institute's been very concerned about is something that uh, Dr. Winston Hewitt, your colleague at the Bradley Center, has talked about, which is the analogy between uh, Darwinian evolution, which is based upon a materialistic assumption that uh, all uh, intelligence and progress among species comes from the common descent from the same material. How, how does that relate to materialism regarding artificial intelligence? Well, yeah, first of all, um, I actually co-authored a book with Winston and uh, William Dembski called Introduction to Evolutionary Informatics, wherein we looked at the modeling of evolution from a simulation point of view. Mm-hmm. It turned out when the computer first came out, everybody was all excited. They said, we can't simulate Uh, Darwinian evolution in the lab, it would just take too long. But my goodness, if we had a model for that and we could go to the computer, we could do like a billion generations in a minute and we could actually show whether or not evolution worked. 
Well, it turns out that even though there were proponents of these different models of Darwinian evolutions, we were actually able to show in the book that it is actually non-algorithmic. Wait, wait, wait. So, in other words, you're you're programming out, you're playing a game, in, in effect, to see if over the course of a billion, billion years, uh, that that evolution could work out the way it would. Is that is that what you're talking about? Yes, and there's been a number of algorithms proposed by people from the natural sciences that say, my algorithm, my computer program, proves Darwinian evolution. Mm-hmm. And in the book, we actually looked at a number of those, including um, one of the big ones is Avita. It came up in the... Uh, um, Oh, what's what's the trial that was uh, about? Oh, uh, in Dover. In the Dover. Yeah. yeah, it was it was a big it was a big thing in Dover, for example, and <clears throat> one of the uh, one of the ideas of the uh, computer program is that it cannot generate it cannot generate anything creative. I'll wait till the computers evolve. <laughs> maybe so, <laughs> maybe so. But it was basically that was my kind of introduction to this idea that there was. There, there were things computers could not do that were not computable. And Darwinian evolution is not computable. That's the premise of the book. We were actually able to look at the algorithm. We were able to identify the place that the programmer put information into the program in order to make it work. And uh, we were actually came up with a measure. We could actually measure it in bits. So the, to- the thing was totally guided. And it's going to work just like when you play pinball uh, the evolutionary programs that they had would be like the pinball bouncing around, but eventually it lands behind the lands in the hole behind the flippers. In other words, as I understand it, you can program uh, evolution, but it has to be guided by the programmer. Absolutely, and that was the premise of the book. Wow. And we actually came up with a measure how we could measure the information that was added in bits, and we actually were able to do that for a number of the different biological proposals for Darwinian evolution. Can you ever, in artificial intelligence, and you've spent your whole career uh, in the very deep researches of, uh, of artificial intelligence and its capacities and its limitations, can you upload something like human consciousness? I don't believe so. And the reason is, is that, um, is that, well, the, the the basic idea is computer or, or people can perform non-algorithmic things. Now, there's algorithmic things or computational things that we do. We can add a column of numbers. Computers can do it better. Uh, but there is also the non-algorithmic or non-computable aspects of the human being. And we mentioned some of these are sentience, consciousness, probably consciousness, creativity, and some of these other things. Now, if that premise is true which I believe it is true, then it is not possible to replicate the human being in a computer because the computer can only capture the algorithmic aspects of us and it would not be able to um, capture the non-algorithmic aspects of us, such as the creative aspect and sentience and qualia and other, other things. So no, it's, it's, it's simply not possible. Okay, in, in terms of um, free will, Yes. which is obviously something that human beings have. I mean, this is one of the questions for all the science fiction writers who talk about a uh, world of advanced machines. Um, can a machine have free will? That's a good question. Uh, the, the machine is going... I, I had my father explain me free will this way. It's, I think it's one of the best, simplest explanations. He said, when you go in the backyard 
and you dig a hole, are you creating the hole or is the hole already there and you're taking the dirt out? One is actually the free will and the other one is the predestination. So I've always looked at free will this way. Uh, But to answer your question specifically, in the area of programming, no, that computer program is going to do, hopefully, exactly what the computer programmer has done. And if it doesn't do that, the programmer needs to go back and look at it because a computer program probably crashes before he can get it to run. Okay. Um, I I know that uh, George Gilder, one of uh, your colleagues at Discovery Institute, one of my colleagues at Discovery Institute, has uh, actually... Uh, talked about the Silicon Valley vision of the uh, the planetary zoo, uh, <laughs> where where human beings are obsolete, yeah. and we're we're basically living in a uh, an ideal world, sort of sort of like Silicon Valley itself, um, where basically machines do all of the important work and uh, human beings just uh, take a uh, guaranteed annual income and, and are able to enjoy themselves. Uh, how, how likely is that to develop? I, I don't believe that it will um, ever replace the creativity which is required in the free market system. It used to be, I believe, that the free market was a Darwinian sort of competition and whoever won would emerge. And looking at the work of Gilder, Peter Thiel, for mm-hmm. example, um, they believe that it isn't that, that it's the actual creative aspect of coming up with new ideas that you can bring to the marketplace that are totally orthogonal, totally different from anything that's been done before. And that's what drives the market, not the Darwinian aspect. So given the idea that computers will never be creative, computers will never have the ability to do the creative things in the marketplace that need to be done in order to have a vital free enterprise system, I don't believe. What about, and I know that that people have tried to use computers and some of the advanced uh, developments of artificial intelligence to answer ultimate questions. Uh, For instance, um, there are very serious people who are very, very concerned about uh, interplanetary, uh, extraterrestrial intelligence. Sure. Um, Is... Is there any meaningful way that a uh, computer program can answer the question about the existence of extraterrestrial life and intelligence? Not without data. I think that you have the, the SETI sort of program right. that looks for intelligence from outer, outer space. But that is something which is uh, totally different from asking a computer outright whether or not um, things exist. No, the computer will respond in the way that it was programmed to respond. So that's, that's about it. And, and so therefore there's this, this bias that is placed in there by the computer program, just like when you wrote the evolutionary program. There's a bias which is placed in there, which guides you towards the, uh, the, the, the result. And you hear all the time about algorithms having results that the programmers didn't think about. Right. And so that, that happens too. So you can How? have... How, how does that happen, too? If the algorithm is re, uh, created by the programmer, mm-hmm. uh, how is it that you come up with a completely different result than the algorithm would then? Well, the algorithm might be designed, for example, to explore data and give you answers with data. And the answers come back and they are, I don't know, they might seem like uh, uh, racist. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there was an example 
I almost hesitate to mention it, but the, the idea that you put in a, a gorilla into the Google image search and it identified and it came up with examples that were that were black people. I mean that was that was a terrible sort of algorithmic flaw on Google's part. They corrected it very easily, but I'm sure that the original program had no idea that that would that sort of thing would happen. Oh, I'm I'm not sure I understand the example, which is okay. So explosive. The the idea is that Google has something called an image search, right. where you can actually input an image and it will give you back similar images. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And so, right, right, if right. you put in the gorilla, it would give you back some. Right. So you need a human sensibility to say that there is a fundamental that 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 this doesn't work and this is not appropriate. Yes. But um, in terms of uh, basically the ability to know something. Uh, can can a computer know? I guess you'd have to define exactly what you mean by know. Uh, certainly it can answer queries. It can answer questions. We have, right. we have the idea of the old chatbots, for example, where you actually give a response, the, the series and the Google Homes sort of, sort of things. And there are also chatbots which are more sophisticated, which are... I understand supposed to do psychoanalysis on you and they can, you can actually ask them questions and they can respond back. But even there, they, they have different, they, they have problems. I read of a, a study where I forget what the chat butt was, but it actually came back and it, it made the person talking to them, which had suicidal sort of ideas. It actually made it worse. Oh, so, so yeah. So you have these unconsequential sort of results that weren't intended by the program as you can have, we talked about creativity. Computer programs cannot be creative, but they can give you unexpected and surprising results, which I maintain are different. Okay, so what are the core limits of materialism and of a material, materialistic philosophy that, that you have perceived in the more advanced experiments with artificial intelligence? Well, I think it isn't necessarily with the experiments, which are what they are, but I think it's in the people that are forecasting the future. And gosh, who was it? It was um, Niels Bohr, the famous physicist who said, forecasting is dangerous, especially if it's about the future. And, and, I'm sure uh, that wasn't Yogi Berra. It, that wasn't Yogi Berra. It could have been, though, couldn't it? That's right. Niels Bohr, I, I don't think, was a baseball fan. But that's he probably wasn't. He was from Denmark. Denmark, yeah. So, yeah, I don't think they're big on baseball over there. Right. But uh, we have people like uh, Ray Kurzweil uh, Uh coming out with with his book and explaining the future of AI from a totally materialistic uh, viewpoint. We have another guy, Yuval Harari, who is a new guy that's coming out and making all of this dystopian forecasts about the future. And they are all based on materialism, which I actually believe narrows one's ability. I think if one has uh, can think outside of materialism, and talk about things which are unknowable. Well, how do you, like you talk about Harari's book, which has made quite a bit of noise. Yes. Um, how, how is that constrained by materialistic assumptions? Explain how that works. Well, he assumes, for example, the population, from the little I've read, I'm not, I'm not well read on Harari, but with the little I've read, he, he assumes that um, human beings are material, are material sort, of, um, sort of people, and therefore they can be corralled, they can be... Um, 
they can be forced to do certain certain things. He talks about artificial intelligence taking control of us and manipulating us emotionally and things of that sort. And I think that's um, very materialistic, but I don't think it really addresses the human exceptionalism that allows us to flourish outside of such environments. Can computers be programmed, um, and this goes to the very core of materialism, for compassion or for love? They can certain, certainly simulate it. We've talked about the movie AI, where the robot, right. because of seductive semantics, or seductive optics, I should say. Seductive optics looks like he loves, but does he love? I, I, no, I don't. I, that, that certainly isn't possible. Um, in, in terms of uh, one of the, uh, one of the very essences of human beings that, um, I mean, that philosophers and novelists and people write about is knowledge of death, uh, of, of a time limited. Has anyone attempted to program that into an artificial intelligence? Because that's the, the other aspect of materialism. It's, well, uh, you had a guest on, uh, Michael Glentner. Right. Uh, David yeah, Glenn. David Glenn. Right. I'm, I'm sorry, but he he actually talked about uh, Kasparov beating Deep Blue, and he said Deep uh, Deep Blue didn't care that he won, uh, and I'm referring to a computer as a male pronoun, right. but I guess I guess that's okay. He he wasn't. I think you're supposed to say they for the industry. They is that right? is that what it is? Okay, but there was no idea of celebration. He wasn't going to take Deep Pink out in the town right, afterwards, right, 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 which right. I thought was really a really a great uh, a great illustration so no the computers are they're 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 they don't care what they're doing uh-huh um should we care what they're doing oh of course of course yeah. i think that the future of ai is is fraught with dangers if it's not uh done right i think there's lots of dangers i mean just simply the self-driving car we got to make sure that we are able to control and understand the safety of that. And the policy to do that is outside of my expertise. That needs to be done by the, the lawmakers and the manufacturers. They have to come up with a way to make sure that the artificial intelligence that they produce is not going to be harming mankind. What about, and, and final question, we're talking about the Darwinian assumption of natural selection and common descent. Uh, has anybody attempted to program artificial intelligence to um, go through natural selection? And <laughs> I guess you'd have to program in mutations. Well, they, yeah, they, they were. But again, all of these things, as we showed in our book, Introduction to Evolutionary Informatics, uh, as we showed in our book, all of this is, is presupposed and inserted into the program by the programmer. Now, the programmers, we find out, are kind of numbed by familiarity. They're doing it, but they don't recognize that they're doing it until it was pointed out. And uh, I think we've won the battle there. I, I don't see any of the any new evolutionary programs coming out that are that are actually saying that we are creating information from just randomness and mutation that's undirected. Well, all of these have to do with all of these considerations have to do with the challenges of materialism, and uh, we actually maybe should begin to conceive of a future different from that dreamed up in Silicon Valley. Uh, computers uh, are our constant companions, as we said at the beginning of this conversation. And with the influence of materialism being what it is, there's an urgent need for clear thought like that by Dr. Marx. 
about the place of technology in our culture. Uh, for more information, uh, be sure to check out Bob's podcast. It's called Mind Matters at mindmatters.ai, not AI, .com. That's right, mindmatters.ai. Uh, hosting important discussions like this one is one reason, and an urgent one, that Discovery Institute's Bradley Center exists. Now, if you enjoyed this podcast, please visit our website at mindswithmedved.com to learn more about Dr. Marx and the work of the Bradley Center uh, for natural and artificial intelligence. While you're there, please subscribe for free to the Minds with uh, Medved broadcast and also express your thanks and your support by donating as generously as you can so that we can keep bringing you great conversations like this one with uh, Dr. Marks. Bob, thank you. Thank you. And Wonderful experience. Dare I say on this in this context, Godspeed. Uh, that's it for this edition of Great Minds with Michael Medved. Thank you. <laughs>